Welcome to episode 27 of the God's Own Scale podcast, your one-stop shop for chat on the little things in life. I'm back after an extended Christmas break, and today I'm chatting to the wonderful Aaron Jenkins from Project Wargaming. Aaron runs his own YouTube channel, Project Wargaming, and has appeared on Little Wars TV recently for their excellent Berlin Battle Report, which I highly recommend you go and check out immediately having listened to this podcast. I hope 2021 finds you all well and eager to push on with your own hobby projects. I must admit I've stalled a little bit on my Antietam project with just a tiny bit more of it to go. I think round about eight bases, uh, a couple of generals and a couple of headquarters bases. My painting mojo went AWOL, as sometimes happens to us all. If there's one thing I've learned over the years, it's never to force the issue. So I have gone back to my other love, and that's the various ranges from Mantic Games, including uh, some elves, enforcers uh, for the Dead Zone game, and some figures for their excellent Hellboy and Walking Dead games as well. Been great fun getting those out. I hope you'll forgive me for these transgressions away from God's own scale. It feels a little bit like a confession, but in my defence it's been a great palette cleanser for me to paint larger figures and to try out some different techniques. And I'm sure I'll be back painting um, the 6mm American Civil War, um, the figures for the Song game, hopefully for the Juro 6, and my War of Independence and Zulu figures. I'm fairly sure Lockdown 3 has been a, a cause in part for this loss of mojo, with no imminent prospect of the gaming club reopening and no shows to look forward to. I've just not had quite the same motivation to complete projects, and so find myself dabbling around in my unpainted pile which is no bad thing as some of these figures have been in the to-do pile for some considerable time, and I'm talking uh, in some cases years, actually. Another result of the lockdown has uh, made me think once again about selling off some of my lesser-used figure collections that are collecting dust and taking up space. I constantly vacillate between thoughts of just getting rid of it all, to I'd like to play that game one day, maybe in the future, at which point I'd regret selling it. But to be honest, my hobby life has been a constant series of purchases, painting, playing, and then selling off when the enthusiasm wanes uh, before buying it all again and once again starting the cycle back at the beginning. Uh, and at my age, I'm not sure that that is ever going to change. So... Uh, it's just the way of things, and I think sometimes you just have to accept it. Whichever way I go, I'll let you know. I'm not rushing into anything just yet, but the seeds of the idea are certainly starting to take hold. I'm really hopeful that the Joe 6 will be the first show I get to this year. As I talk now, it's the 17th of February, uh, so we're talking four and a half months away. I have a horrible feeling it will be just that bit too soon in the calendar. I don't know, uh, but let's keep our fingers crossed. I really hope it does go ahead. Uh, but obviously it can only go ahead if it is safe to do so. And uh, I'm sure, like me, well, we all trust Peter in his judgment as to where we go. Uh, Salute has made the sensible decision to move to November. 
uh, and how that pans out as a stopgap for 2021 remains to be seen. Uh, will it become their new spot within the calendar, or will we have another salute, what, five months following uh, the November one in its traditional April slot? Uh, that'll be an interesting development within the hobby that I'm sure we'll all keep our eyes out across the various social medias and the magazines uh, to see what happens there. If it is in November and it doesn't clash with any other plans, uh, I intend to go, uh, hopefully as a bit of a roving reporter for God's Own Scale podcast. Um, but uh, let, let's see how things go. We're not quite out of this epidemic yet, or pandemic, sorry. Uh, vaccination scheme seems to be going really well, but and November's a while off yet, isn't it? So a lot of things can change. For those of you looking at expand, expanding your 6mm lead piles, backers have announced that they should be back open for business by the end of the month, by the end of February. And interestingly, they're capping orders at £50 for the time being in the hope that the uh, typical feeding, feeding frenzy that we've seen uh, during previous reopenings is mitigated somewhat. If it is that by limiting orders to £50 per customer and they can remain open for longer or even not have to shut down again, that can only be a good move, which I applaud. Only time will tell, but I give my best wishes as ever to Peter and all the team at Bacchus who do such sterling work getting uh, these orders out to us. And hopefully this light at the end of the tunnel is getting that little bit brighter as we move through 2021. Uh, finally, before moving on to the interview, the competition that was set during the Christmas episode hasn't had an awful lot of entries. In fact, I, can't, I think I can count them on one hand, um, which isn't quite what I was hoping for, to be honest. So uh, I'm going to make a plea to everybody that listens to this podcast. Go back to the Christmas episode with Pear, Alex and Dan. Have a listen to it. And I'm going to change the goalposts. I do apologise for anybody who has already entered and uh, met the uh, original criteria. But I think just to get the word out and make it a little bit easier, I think I probably set it a little bit too hard, uh, makes it a little bit easier. I'm just going to ask now for three. That's three of the nine cultural references made by my guests. And by cultural references, I'm talking about film, titles, books, plays, etc. Um, so get those into me via email at godsownscale at gmail.com or else on Twitter at godsownscale. I'm going to extend the deadline, and this will be the only extension to the deadline until the 14th of March. The, which is a Sunday, and the episode that fail, follows that will be the episode where the draw is made, and two lucky winners will be announced. Um, if you didn't listen to that episode and don't know what I'm talking about, this is a chance to win a gaming mat from Tiny Wargaming, who kindly have donated uh, a gaming mat, a 6x4 gaming mat, in fact, of your choice. Uh, from their cloth gaming mats uh, from the, their range and also a £25 voucher with Bacchus uh, so a great opportunity for you to stack up or stock up even on uh, some 6mm goodness 
and with the uh, some of the releases that Peter has been teasing us with, although we haven't been able to get our hands on them, then I'm sure there'll be plenty of people with uh, plenty of ideas of how to spend £25. Okay, uh, no outro this episode, uh, so I'll thank you now for listening and for your continued support. Uh, I really do appreciate it. Um, this is a great community that we're involved in, and there's lots more to come with the podcast. I've at least seven or eight more guests all waiting in line for their opportunity to have a word with me and, and get their thoughts on this wonderful hobby of ours out there and uh, I'll be working through those as soon as possible probably settling into a schedule in a a slightly more relaxed way than I did the second half of 2020 so round about a three week turnaround I'm thinking probably whereas I, I really got out an episode every 10 to 14 days throughout that six month period uh, just with work and homeschooling and life and blah 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 um i think three weeks is a a probably more realistic uh time scale and just keeps things fresh for the podcast um that that will invariably change as we move through the year as um, uh, guests become available uh, and and fitting with my my own schedule so uh but that's what i'm aiming for uh three uh, one episode every three weeks so i hope that's sufficient for you um if you do enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute to uh, keeping the lights on in the god's own scale studios here at god's own scale towers um i do run a patreon campaign uh, where you can support me uh, in these endeavors uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash God's own scale there will be a link in the show notes if you've got any feedback or, or wish to discuss anything that you hear during the podcast podcast or wish to complain or uh, get upset by anything that's said and it's that has happened in the past uh, you can contact me uh, via email at God's own scale at gmail.com or again at Twitter at God's own scale so Uh, That's enough of me wittering on. You're not here to listen to my voice. You're here to listen to the interview with Mr. Jenkins. So sit back, warm your feet by the fire, and rest easy. It's time to talk about six. Very good. Okay, welcome to episode 27 of God's Own Scale. Yes, we're back on the air after a short break uh, following uh, the Christmas festivities. Uh, and I'm very well, uh, very glad to say I have uh, Mr. Aaron from, I've, I don't know your surname, <laughs> Jenkins, <laughs> Jenkins, it's a British, Thank it's you. Welsh, Welsh, I guess, so. Yes, you haven't got a Welsh accent though. No, no, no. Yeah. Very much. <laughs> 
no, no. Uh, from, uh, but you'll know him better as uh, the host and producer of the Project Wargaming YouTube channel. Welcome, Aaron, to the podcast. Thanks. Great to be here. Finally, finally get to talk. Finally get to talk. This has <laughs> been lo- a long time coming, hasn't it? <laughs> Yes, life gets in the way. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Generally, from my end, I, I, I do uh, apologize for that. Uh, we were due to record yesterday, and, and just circumstances uh, got in the way somewhat. But we're here now. That's the important thing. Um, how are you, Aaron? How are you? I'm good. I just had uh, my first vacation uh, in quite some time, so uh, it was great. It was good to be away. Spent uh, time in a cabin that me and my folks own and built, and uh, it's all heated by wood stove. And you know, it's been sub freezing in Indiana for the last week. So there's something comforting about being in crappy weather, but yet you're in a nice crackly fire cabin. So yeah, you're going to get very very little sympathy from the UK listeners. Aaron, because uh, holidays for us are out of the window at the moment, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is lockdown 3.0 uh, that yes. we're in at the moment, but ho- hopefully just about to come out of it. Yeah. You guys had had some snow over there too, haven't you? Yeah, we have actually. Uh, Post-Christmas, um, there's been a couple of belts of it that have come through, um, and the, the temperatures are still sub-zero at the moment. In fact, Scotland... Uh, the UK recorded uh, the lowest temperature for 25 years. And that was up in Scotland. At, I think it was minus 23 degrees, uh, which is uh, pretty chilly for the UK. Well, well, you have that going for you, I guess. So. Well, <laughs> be grateful for small mercies. Um, Aaron, uh, as I've, I said in the introduction there, um, I came to aware of became aware of your work through the project wargaming youtube channel which hopefully we'll dive into shortly but as i do with most guests that come onto the show uh, i'd like to sort of get under the hood and, and see what makes aaron tick and what got you into this strange hobby of ours that's called wargaming sure yeah i think i have um a little bit more of a unique story because I grew up in central Indiana. I grew up in a county of Indiana that's mostly farming. So the whole county had like, when I was growing up, it had like maybe 17,000 people. And the town I lived in was 6,000 people. I was the only person, as far as I'm aware of, that wargamed in that county. And of course, back then, uh, 30 years ago, like, you, you, you didn't have the internet. (laughs) you didn't have anything to connect yourself to other people. And so uh, I kind of, uh, I I didn't game by myself. I never did solo gaming. I always dragged my friends into it and I tried to drag my dad into it. But, uh, but yeah, I kind of didn't really know that there was this whole gaming world out there that I was unaware of. So I always kind of laugh when people say that gaming might be dying. It's just like, I've never, I've I've never been surrounded by so many gamers in my life now. Uh so so it's great. It's great to kind of be experiencing that. Um so like I said I grew up in rural Indiana. Uh you'll hear that in my voice. Um 
and uh, I think started off with just army men playing in a sandbox and uh, firecrackers blowing them up and things like that. So I always love stuff. The good stuff. And I love the sandbox because I loved making terrain, which, of course, I think plays out in the rest of my my life, right, uh, in, in uh, gaming. Um, but then I started to get a little bit more serious because my dad uh, wanted me to get out of his hair, I think. And so he introduced me to Axes and Allies, um, which I'm not for sure if you're familiar with that uh, Avalon Hill game. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, definitely, yeah. But that was kind of my first introduction to to wargaming. I had played some Dungeons and Dragons with friends uh, when I was growing up too, but Axis and Allies did that. And then I remember going to Indianapolis because that was the big town we always went to to get anything. You had to drive an hour to go watch a movie if you wanted to. And uh, there was a, a store up there called the Game Preserve, which anybody in central Indiana will be familiar with. Um, and that was, I went in there for the first time and I, I realized that there were these other army men on the shelves. And I asked, I remember, I, I, I remember this distinctly. I remember asking the guys like, well, what are those for? And he's like, well, they play games with them. And I was like, really? <laughs> and uh, wow. I was like, well, what, <laughs> what kind of games? Like, what are the rules you use? And so he, he pulled me over to another shelf and there was command decision, second edition box. And he pulled it off and he was like this. And so that's kind of my, my start uh, in legitimate uh, wargaming, I guess. Uh, so 172nd scale, uh, soft plastic miniatures, uh, command decisions. And then I very quickly started, we, we would pull the car out of the garage. And when friends came over and I would throw down a sheet of cloth on the ground. And then I had made these hills out of uh, plastic or um, styrofoam sheets um, for hills and all that sort of stuff. And so we, I just remember kind of trying to play those games and muddy my way through. Cause I was like maybe 12. So you can imagine a 12 year old who's never played war games in their lives, trying to muddy their way through command decision, second edition, <laughs> And, and and figure out what is what is this about like um so i'm sure i didn't ever actually play a command decision second edition but but we played something um but uh but yeah so i've i've started doing that um i kind of quickly switched over to 15 millimeter um and even some ghq stuff i i saw that because there was some other hobby stops in indianapolis and did a little bit of that in, in high school. And then I got to college and, uh, again, I went to a very small college and there was only like one other guy there, uh, Mark Boyer, uh, who I played games with every once in a while. And we had moved on to, a uh, battlefront, I think is the name rule set. So it's always world war two stuff. And then, uh, I again went to, I think the game preserve, but this time it was on the North side of Indianapolis. And I asked if there was any groups that played, um, war games. And they said, yes, there was a club in Indianapolis. And, uh, the club was 19 and one, um, which I'm still part of, I guessed, because the club's kind of split apart and is scattered to the four winds right now. But, uh, um, so I started showing up to their games every once in a while. Um, 
and, and playing with them. And I was usually the youngest guy in there by like 10 years. And, uh, we played brother versus brother and all kinds of different things. I would just show up and play. Um, so that was pretty sporadic, but then I think what really got me serious into gaming was I moved out to DC after college, Washington, DC. And I didn't, I was all by myself. I moved out there because a girlfriend lived out there and I taught art, elementary art. Um, and I didn't really have any friends and I found a game shop out there called little wars. Um, and just started hanging out at that and got to know uh, Farron and Elena Betchley, who were the owners. And they were just kind of like my parents away from parents um, in many ways, very just provided me just a nice place to go. Yeah. And uh, I, that's the first time I was introduced to GW. <laughs> so, okay. you know, I mean, again, kind of a strange thing. I was just like 25 years old, had 10 years of gaming experience before I even knew that there was such a thing as games workshop. Um, I think that might be a unique. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. It's so weird, isn't it? Um, so the only reason that I really played games workshop at that time was because that's what the guys were playing. And if I wanted to play games, then that's what I did. Um, there was a group of guys who played DBA out there. And so we, I played with them some, um, but uh but yeah, so I, I lived out there for a couple of years and was very active in that group. And then uh, I, I came back to Indiana and actually went to seminary, which for us Catholics, seminary is, is kind of like a boarding school. And uh, so, you know, we went to school, boarding school, basically in southern Indiana, which was even more rural than than what I grew up with. So is that a Benedictine monastery? So, uh, you know to go stir crazy, you just start playing games. And so I, I had all my stuff and I would just put on games on Saturday and other guys would join us and it, it was fun. So that's kind of how I, I did that. And then once I got out of seminary and, you know, started working, um, then my dad retired and he actually got interested in games. Um, I was working on a project for, a um, warlords, um, uh, bold action and uh and he he just got interested i don't know what it was something about that interested him and he's like hey i'd like to try that so so that was about uh five years ago and uh, we've been playing playing almost once a week now just me and him uh since then and and since then i've gotten uh, some other friends too there's there's a group here in town that games and then there's uh some friends of mine that uh, we get together like once every month or so. And then the club 19 and one on, I reconnected with when I got back to Indianapolis and uh, there's a group of us that get together from that club. But I think the biggest thing that I've, I've done with 19 and one has been putting on the games at Gen Con, um, which is the biggest uh, gaming convention in the world. And it just happens to be in Indianapolis. Um, and so put on it's a very strange thing to put on games in the middle of lucas oil stadium um but uh but it's fun to do so a, a lot sure, of yes. <laughs> um a lot of my my gaming background is is really putting on games for people who don't know how to play games or have never played games in their life and so that that i think has informed my gaming experience 
immensely. Um, and so it's, I love the visual side of it. I really got into terrain making when I was in DC and then only in at Gen Con, like I really started to experience that, like, Hey, my tables look pretty good. And, uh, started diving into that a little bit more and getting a little bit more notoriety about it, I guess. And, uh, just kind of kept going. My, I guess my first claim of fame was, was not really a miniature game. It was the 3d, uh, I, I took the fantasy flight board game for games of Thrones or game of Thrones and turned it into a 3d board game. Um, which I, I had seen at, a convention called cold wars out here they had done a they had done a similar thing to kingmaker i think um and i was like oh well, that's kind of interesting but that was but 10 years later you know fantasy flight came out with the game of thrones board game and i was like oh that'd be kind of cool to to do so so that that happened and then i just happened to have some friends that were connected to the big online site called polygon i don't know if you've ever heard of it um, no, I don't think I have actually. It's it's all mostly uh, digital war game stuff, you know, uh, games that way. I I'm still very ignorant of all of that, but I guess it just has a huge viewership because um, I had family members who saw the article on me and that that contacted me, and I'd never told them that I was into war gaming or anything, so they just saw it in in Polygon. So. Um, so that kind of got spread around and then I just started having more ideas and, uh, then little wars TV came along and kind of started giving me some more inspiration, I think on different things to do. And it's just kind of continued to grow kind of from there. So that's probably more than you wanted to hear about my gaming background, but no, that, that's fascinating. And, uh it really is fascinating because um one of my bucket list um uh entries is to go to gen con so oh, as well. soon as you said that you're from indianapolis, indianapolis mm-hmm. I'm thinking, oh my goodness i have an amazing amount of people who want to be my friends <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah. have you got room for one more I do. I do. Actually, that is the nice thing about my job is I live in big houses that typically have extra rooms. So, but actually our, our club puts on so many games at Gen Con that we, we get hotel rooms for free, you know, in quotations, cause you're working your butt off all day long. Um, and you're putting on games. So it is definitely something to, uh, to behold. So some of the little war TV guys are talking about coming out and actually have, a friend up in Canada who there, you know, Gen Con is much more of an RPG um, role-playing game sort of thing, board game sort of thing. Um, and he's really into role-playing. And so he, he actually comes down and has stayed with me and I pick him at the airport and do all that stuff. So I'd be happy to do that for you. <laughs> well, I mean that that is fantastic, but it, it, Gen Con has has always been on my radar. As as um, Adepticon is a, mm. another one oh, I've yeah. always wanted. Yep, been uh, to that one. To get out. You've been to Adepticon? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. So yeah. jealous. <laughs> so jealous. Yeah, um, I Gen Con. I would if you're going to do one, I would do Gen Con. No offense to the Adepticon guys, but uh, um, Adepticon is much more kind of GW mantic kind of fantasy sci-fi 
based sort of stuff and the historical side is is there like the biggest thing at, at adepticon is the saga um historical stuff um so but yeah yeah I'm, i think i've mentioned a few times on the cast before actually that um my hobby life is, is sort of split in two between the six mil historical side of things and then um i'm a huge fan of the mantic games product lines and the, the, the games that they produce um and I, I i know one or two guys at mantic and they they go over to uh, gen con uh, every year uh, obviously uh pandemic global pandemics allowing but uh yeah, it's it's on my list. It's on my list. If I get over there, Aaron, we're gonna have to hook up and uh, and uh, share a coffee and, and and share some stories. Definitely. For sure. Um, I think uh, as I mentioned earlier that I first became aware of your work through your YouTube channel um, and a build that you did on there or, or cataloged on there uh, for a D Day game. Um, did you take that to Gen Con? Yes. Actually, I built it really for Gen Con. Okay. So just tell us a bit about that, because that was an epic build, wasn't it? It was <laughs> a huge undertaking for one person to do the, the entirety of, of that build. It, it just blew my mind. Well, uh, like I said, I think uh, the Game of Thrones board game kind of prepared the way for a lot of that. And so I started to learn a lot of the techniques and kind of the, the process that you have to kind of go through to do that. Um, I'm not married. I don't have kids. So when I come home to unwind, instead of watching TV, I just spend two hours doing hobby stuff. Um, so that helps a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Uh, to, to be able to have that time and, and do that. Um, obviously it takes a bit of commitment to do it, but, um, and a vision. I think you're underselling it there. Uh, <laughs> a bit of commitment. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah, I I had started the YouTube channel mm, probably six months before that. I don't know. I'd have to go back and check. But uh, I I was doing ACW stuff. I was trying to get back into ACW because my dad and I were talking on a vacation that we had a couple years ago, and I was. He he was like, well, I like bold action, but you know, I, you know, I'm open to doing other stuff. And I said, and he's always been a, a huge Civil War buff like me. And I was like, well, we need to we need to do Civil War. Like that's that's what we need to do. And so, in some ways, I started the YouTube channel more like a hobby blog, vlog, I guess, and also to kind of keep myself uh, motivated and uh, on task. Um, so, you know, committing to, to doing an upload like once a, once a week uh, is really good. I, I used to have a blog, and I have dyslexia, and so writing things is just terrible for me. It's just awful. And so I still sound like an idiot when I talk out loud, but it's way faster, and I don't have to, you know, uh, it's – I can show better than I can write. Um, so um, – so I just kind of started to do that. And then the D-Day game came to mind and I was like, hey, this, this would be fun, kind of fun to, to video and to show a step-by-step. -step. And I had, I'd been watching a lot of other YouTube channels that helped me with some of those processes. Uh, 
O Gaming Geek, I think is his name now. Uh um he's in the UK. Uh and then um but but the biggest channel that probably helped me was actually a railroad channel uh called Luke Townsend and he's out of Australia I think or New Zealand uh, that's terrible they would kill me um for not knowing which one but um I think he's we'll Australian quiet. <laughs> we'll keep you me and you are that's worry. right that's right I don't want to start a war um no no, no. But uh, I think he's out of Australia, and he, he does just some amazing stuff, and his tutorials are awesome. Um, so uh, so those two channels, and then Mel, Mel the Train Tutor too, who yeah. I did meet at Adepticon a couple of years ago when we actually had ah. stuff. Um, he's from Stoke. Oh, is he? Yes. Yeah, Which my Stoke? Stoke. Your, your Stoke my or Stoke. the other Stokes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my Stoke, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, closest to your Stoke I got was Nottingham. But, um, so, um, uh, so yeah, I, all of those kind of put together and I, I wanted to do a D-Day board. I knew that I was going to go and visit D-Day. And so that was another motivation, uh, to, to visit the beaches and stuff. Um, so I, it was a great way for me just to kind of immerse myself into that history, um, and just kind of kind of take a bird's eye view of, of that. And at the same time, little wars TV was going on and they, they were pushing um fistful of toes or, you know, had put that rule set out and I had played it and really, really liked it and thought that it would be great for kind of this big, massive thing. Um, the other thing is when you play at Gen Con, uh, you have, you want to have as many players as possible because then that gives your players uh, player hours up, which then gives you the free hotel room. Um, and so, so there's a method to why I have an eight player game is that we've just kind of found that that's kind of the sweet spot. And then we set up the games to be played so that it's like a two player game, but it's an eight player game. So you're playing really the guy across from you. Um, but there's eight players doing that and you'll have a little bit of overlap, but not a lot. So, um, so I knew that that's kind of how I wanted to go and the direction I wanted to go with uh, the D-Day board game. And so at that time I wasn't into 3D printing. And so I kind of hand modeled the, the uh, bunkers and basically everything. I actually, I actually did buy some 3D printed uh, hedgehogs for that. Um, and then now looking back, I'm like, that's so stupid. Like that's so easy to make. Why did I not, <laughs> Why did I buy those? But you know how it goes. Um, so um, it's a so journey, yeah. isn't it? Hobby. Yeah, yeah. It's um. So yeah, it was fun. It was fun to do. I, I really loved pouring the water because uh, in college, uh, you know, I became an art teacher. But my my background as an art teacher was I was a I was a glass blower, and so I loved you know the optics of that, and so you know just anything that's shiny and blue and it looks glassy was, is always fun. Um, and, uh, really happy with how the sea kind of turned out in that. It really looked like it was a nasty day on the sea. Um, and, uh, yeah, it seems, it seems like just kind of a fun, fun game to play. People, 
people seem to enjoy it. it the, the Germans love the first like two or three turns, and then the Americans start to like it as it goes on. So they like it better the longer yes. it goes. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. I'm I'm looking at your channel now, actually, Aaron, and the the header of your the the main picture uh, is a close up of the hedgehogs and the 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 sea effect. I mean, it's just incredible. It looks like you could take a dip in that water uh it's that realistic it's it's just incredible and i can remember when i first um saw it on on the channel as, as you got to that point where you're going to start to do the water and just being blown away by uh the the artistry of the whole thing it, it it's just incredible um it's uh, obviously one three hundred stroke stroke six mil um is how, when did you first get into the smaller scale? Because you said you started off with the command. Was it the command decision you said? Yeah. So one seventy second, then fifteen millimeter, and then I got into twenty eight millimeter for a long time. So bold action and um, well GW stuff, of course, if you can even call that a scale. Um, and then. Uh, the saga stuff is 28 millimeter too, most of it. So, um, but I just kind of started getting tired of it. Um, and I started getting tired of it cause my job makes me move every six to 12 years. <laughs> so packing all that stuff up and I have to pack it up every single year for Gen Con and all these, these conventions that I go to. And I was just like, well, this, this sucks <laughs> to pack up all this 28 millimeter. And I, and I'm the kind of person that I, I like it to be nice terrain and nice terrain takes room. It, it takes space. And, uh, so we kind of dad and I started playing the six millimeter civil war stuff. And then I started doing GHQ for the world war two stuff. And both of us was just like, I really like the look of this. I really like how it makes you feel like there's an army here. Like there's guys moving in. Um, we 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 just like the feel of that, and uh, I think we just got really tired with a bold action 28 millimeter that a guy couldn't shoot down the house, you know, because <laughs> the scale. Like, I mean, it's fine. Like, I get it. Um, I mean, if I went back to play 28 millimeter World War II, it'd probably be more like command decisions or something, but or uh, chain of command. Um, but uh, yeah, we just we really liked the simplicity too. Dad's not rules heavy. I'm not terribly rules heavy. And again, I, I particularly when you run games at Gen Con, you're you're running games for people who have sometimes never played a, a war game in their life. And so, you know, the simpler it can be, the better. Um, uh, but to give them the sense of like, yeah, I'm playing. Yes, I'm invading Normandy. <laughs> um, is is I like that overall feel that you get as opposed to, Oh, well this guy's got the MG 42 and he can fire faster. Like I just like I think, the way I, th I think what's, what's really interesting. And I've, I've talked about this to uh, the little wars uh, guys as well, is that you've put uh, countless hours into producing this really, museum quality diorama that you're going to then play games multiple games over um 
but not just with you and your dad, but with complete strangers, and that you pack it up into into your car or your van or whatever, and take it to various shows, and other people get to then play on on um, that table, whereas somebody building that that quality setup in the UK that would definitely be what we call a demonstration game almost a do not touch so you can have a look at it but god forbid if you put your finger on it you'll get shouted at by one of the players and demons uh, sorry participation games tend to be well uh, I'll add the caveat unless it's put on by the two fat lardies because their participation games are, are beautiful but for the vast majority of participation games where we where you invite members of the public to come and play your game it would be of much less it would <laughs> a much lower quality um it and and there's a big difference between the uk convention scene and the the states side convention scene i appreciate but um was there any nervousness about, about particularly people who've never played war games before coming along and maybe leaning on the table or putting a, a coke can on the water or how, how did you feel about that um i guess i never really i mean i think about it i think about it as in okay people are going to abuse this <laughs> so how can i make this um so it doesn't fall apart that's what I start with. So I, I start with the assumption that people have no clue how much time and effort it goes into making something like this. And I do that. Now, I will say this. That's what I expect at Gen Con. What was nice when I went to um, Fall In, to what, I guess it was almost two years ago now, um, which is just a purely historical wargaming convention on the East Coast, it was so nice because it's like, I didn't have to explain stuff to people (laughs) (laughs) like they just got it. Like everybody knew what they were supposed to do. Like there was, there was definitely some kids there who, you know, were very new to wargaming. Um, but like they knew, they knew it's just like, well, no, this guy's painted these things. This guy's like put time and effort into it. And so like, this guy's the GM, like I'm going to, I'm going to do that at Gen Con. I do find myself, I don't know. <laughs> Definitely by bet no no no. Okay. I, I, by day four, in fact, our club now has a policy that we don't run games on Sunday because all of us are so worn out, and everyone at the convention is so worn out that we have no patience left at all. Um, <laughs> I I'm I'm a very blunt person, uh, which might strike people as odd if they find out what I do for a living. But um, <laughs> there's there's been some times at Gen Con, I remember telling a guy once he had played in like multiple games before over the years. And like each time is just miserable. And yeah. he was just like, well, I'm just not going to have fun if I stay here and play this game. And I said, I agree. We're not going to have fun <laughs> if you stay here and play this game. <laughs> so, okay. You know, you just, you just do that. The, the only other times that I kind of say something to someone is like, <laughs> there was once a guy who picked up my miniatures and started rolling them around in his hand like they were dice. Oh and my I was like, uh, don't do that. It's like, <laughs> yeah. those are hand painted. I prefer not to do that. So, you know, they're just, 
but it was just an absent-minded thing that he was doing. So, you know, I, I can kind of excuse that. So, um, so there is kind of, you do have to not be afraid to tell people that this stuff is more precious than they're treating it. If they're, if they're treating it that way. But I find at the historical conventions, I, I don't, I don't have to do that. Like everybody knows. So I did laugh when I was at the historical convention because I was setting it up and there was an old guy in there who was setting up his felt tablecloth with his felt cut out, you know, things for his game. And that's fine. Like, you know, you can play that. But his wife was helping him <laughs> and she came over and she's like, oh, honey, look at this. It's so beautiful. And like his comment was like, yeah, but you can only use that for one thing and blah, blah. That's just like, <laughs> yeah, that's the whole point. Like, that's the whole point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the other the other big project, and there's lots of goodness on this channel, uh, Project Wargaming, and there'll be a link in the show notes to it. But the other big project on there, again, World War II, is the Berlin build, which um, we saw in on the Little Wars TV episode that uh, you provided the, uh, the board to. Um, did that follow a similar process to your D-Day game? Yeah. So interestingly, both of them coincided with the anniversaries. So I did the D-Day board game because I knew that I would be playing that game at Gen Con during the 75th anniversary year. And so when I was out in Fallen, I started thinking about, oh, well, you know, what's what's the anniversary when's when's little wars convention which is in chicago and then i was like well what's the anniversary if there are any battles that were over that time period that i'd be at little wars and it was it was the battle of berlin and i was like oh that'd be cool pretty cool to do so um so i decided i was going to build that board um but that board is built uh with 3d printing which is kind of the the big leap, I guess, on that board um, was it was really my entry into 3D printing and a lot of learning <laughs> on 3D printing in that whole process. Um, so, uh, so very, very similar. Uh, I have a whole series of videos on how I thought about the game, how I wanted to play it out. Um, again, eight player game. Um, storage was a big thing uh kind of mel the terrain tutor talks about this right is like how are you going to store the game and that is obviously a huge thing with these big boards is like how do you store them because you don't want to build it and just pitch it um you want to be able to play on it some so um how, how are you going to store it so that was a part a big part of the build on storage now my advantage is my dad is a carpenter he loves woodworking so he does the storage end of it as far as like I give him the idea of how I want to store the boards and then he builds the storage box for him. Right. Um, and so that helps. So you have bespoke uh, containers then built. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite English word, bespoke. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I just, I just remember asking my buddy once when we were driving through England, I was like, what is bespoke? <laughs> 
Um, that may be the first time I've used it on the podcast, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe the little, last as well. It's a little hoity-toity from someone from Stoke, right? So, exactly, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, so, yes, uh, designed to carry that. And so if he told me when he built these, he's like, these are the last carrying cases I'm building for you. So every other board you make has to fit into these boards. And I was like, okay, that's fair enough. So, um, so we made it to a scale that I think will work for me in the future. And we did that. Now the D-Day game board, like it's got wheels and handles and all kinds of stuff. Um, to actually roll the thing in cause it's heavy, heavy. So that was the other big thing with the Berlin board. I was just like, this D-Day board is too freaking heavy. Like I need to make this thing lighter cause I, I'm not getting younger. Um, and I'm certainly not getting skinnier. So how do I, uh, how do I make this a little bit easier to, to carry? So the D-Day board or the Berlin board is way lighter, way, way lighter. Um, but that's also the, the 3D printing helped with that. So, um, so again, I think with same thing with the idea with the Berlin board and the D-Day board is not to necessarily recreate an exact copy of it, but instead someone walks by and they know immediately what that is and what that's about. Um, you know, the D-Day board game is based uh, roughly on Omaha beach. Um, and the D-Day board game or the, the Berlin board is obviously based on the Reichstag and the victory column and the zoo flag tower. Um, like these are such the- iconic buildings, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. That you immediately know where you are. Yes. When you see them. Yeah. And if you don't, you still look at it and you're like, oh, that's really cool looking. What is what's happening? So. Um, so, yeah, the, the process was very similar, uh, much more thought out, I would say, than the than the the D-Day game, because the D-Day game is. You know, it's so nebulous, right? It's like, well, yeah, there were. You had all these strong points and all these strong points were kind of built differently. And there's some some good data out there about what they would have looked like or what one would have looked like, but I'm not going to recreate every single bunker. Um, I'm going to recreate a bunker that looks like a bunker, you know, the style of bunker. Um, where with Berlin, it's like, no, the Reichstag is the Reichstag and it needs to be that. Um, so uh, probably a little bit more detailed, actually, I would say than, than the, and, and not only the Reichstag, but the a destroyed Reichstag. Oh, which yeah. For anybody who's who's looked at the era or seen any of the footage, it, it is iconic, isn't it? In the in yeah. the, the skeleton that was left at, at that period in the war. Yeah, I remember. I think I did a video where I had a picture, a color picture that I'd printed out of the destroyed Reichstag. And I put it beside the Reichstag that I built and modeled or painted. And I was like, that's pretty good. Like pretty close. I'm looking at it now. <laughs> There's a, a thumbnail of, of that video and you've got oh, okay. the picture of the Reichstag in the background and uh, your model of it in the foreground. And it's, it's just wonderful. It is, it's inspiring. Actually, I've, I've been uh, to Berlin and, and been to the Reichstag um, and, and that, and the area where, you set the battle and it's just, it really is great. And um, 
I'm so thankful, so thankful that I got to see uh, this game played out um, uh, by the Little Wars TV guys uh, because uh, it it really showed it off. It, it, it's it's the next best thing to actually being in the room. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hope, well, hopefully I may get to see this one uh, at some point in the future. But yeah, um, that's the next that's the next best thing, and it really is a stunning effort. And I, I really take my hat off to you. Well, you know. Yeah. We had planned on getting together at Little Wars, the convention up at Chicago. But then, of course, lockdown happened and everything was shut down. And uh, but I had this board. And then, of course, you know, when we got got out of our first lockdown, um, Greg and I contacted each other. And I was like, hey, I'm I'm willing to come out and bring this and play this at your guys's club if you're interested and. So, so luckily it just worked out and it was, it was a great time. Like I said, uh, we made it into a whole trip, um, got to play some games with, with Steve and Greg and, you know, interact with them. And it's always, it's kind of funny, you know, when you see stuff on TV and then you go to it, right. It's just like, it's so different in person. And so like, I remember walking into their club and I was just like, wow, this is really tiny. (laughs) This is very small. Like I, I didn't picture this for some reason. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just how they, how they film and everything too is just like okay, that's interesting how they do that. So, and then of course the personalities and interactions and and all that. So, um, it's a real peek behind the curtain, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. yeah. So it was, and it they was always say, "Never meet your heroes." <laughs> Never meet your heroes. <laughs> well, it's funny because my dad is in in that video but he's the one sitting at the table over there <laughs> doing nothing <laughs> he didn't want to play with him like he didn't he didn't want to play he didn't want to be in the videos he didn't want to play so he's sitting over there playing uh actually some civil war games on his computer the whole time <laughs> oh, really <laughs> there you go. So, uh, yeah it was it was it was fun it, it was really enjoyable to to yeah. get out there and play it and i just i I get a kick. I get just as big a kick running games for people as I do playing them. Um, probably maybe more so. Um, I enjoy running games every bit as much as I enjoy playing games. Um, so like on Monday, a group of friends of are going to get together and we're going to do an old West game that I've been working on. And, uh, you know, five of them are going to play and I'm going to run it. And and I'm gonna have a lot of fun. It's just one. It's if you've played a lot of games, it's not a lot of fun playing games with people who haven't played games. Um, but uh, but I just I don't know. I I get get as much enjoyment out of running them as I do. And so whenever I build something, I always build it with that in mind that I'm not really gonna be playing on this game. I'm gonna I'm gonna having other people play on this this board so um i i entirely get that and i i'm i'm very much of the same uh opinion to be honest that um the 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 actual playing of the game is almost secondary for me um i'm building the antietam game at the moment for ultra freedom and i've got people interested at my club for when we can meet again to say 
which commands do you want to take and and which side do you want to be on and i'm pretty sure i'm just going to be running the game for them as a sort of umpire and just watching the thing unfold so i i, I totally get that that's uh, uh there's there's something to be said for um letting others enjoy your creation and there must be a lot of satisfaction for you in that yeah well i think i think it's the teacher side in me coming out right um and when you know we get back like the the school that i'm associated with like um we had a game i had a game club that i was running for kids afterwards and that was fun and i was honestly the the most disappointing thing about the lockdown the first lockdown was i was going to run the berlin game for a high school that i that i help out at um and so i was just really disappointed that we didn't get no it was a d-day game i was going to run the d-day game for their ap history class and um quite honestly that was (laughs) that was probably the most disappointing thing that i had to miss because of the whole lockdown situation um so well again we'll see yeah let's hope um the green shoots of recovery are on the way worldwide and with the vaccines that are being developed so hopefully um brighter times ahead um tell me about the youtube youtube channel then aaron because um i think you've got over 100 177 videos do I? Um, I haven't even checked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like to do my research, and over a thousand subscribers, which is absolutely yeah. amazing. So, what, what, were, what was the ins, ins, inspiration for that? Uh, well, um, well, like I said, I had a blog to begin with, and I was terrible at writing, and uh, videoing was way more effective for me as far as just kind of vlogging, I guess. Um, So easier. Uh, If you read the description of my webpage or YouTube page, it is short unadorned videos. I think that that's pretty much what I have. Um, I've, I've ventured into some battle reports and things like that. But as you know, doing the podcast, like, editing this stuff just takes forever and like <laughs> <Sure it is. laughs> i would really prefer to make the stuff or play the stuff than to make videos about the stuff um so I, i'm hats off to greg and steve and those guys who you know really do put the time and effort into making great videos because it's they're awesome um but uh that's just not my cup of tea i'll do it every once in a while but um it isn't something I'm going to focus on. So, you know, going forward, like I just, I'm going to continue to do the how to's, um, some battle reports, but also what I've found that I enjoy doing is like the experiments, um, particularly around the 3d printing stuff. Like if you, if I think there's a whole category of videos on, on 3d printing. And it's, it's basically, if you watch the very first video to the latest video, like you, you can, catalog my process my progress to still be not good at something <laughs> um, so uh you're so a humble man aaron you, you really do yourself <laughs> a disservice because I've, I've seen your 3d printing you you sent a, a lovely sample box through to me um and there's some lovely bits in there the, the samurai are really gorgeous well thank you um 
yeah so it's it's just it's just been fun and uh, uh it's just been kind of an inspiration and it's nice to kind of get some of that feedback from the community right um of like other guys who are like oh yeah i've always i've thought about 3d printing this is kind of what i thought about you know i I I started I had thought about 3D printing for a long time. And then Steve did his videos on Little Wars TV about 3D printing, and uh, he typically does the the FDM printing, which is the the bigger. It's better for bigger stuff. And I knew that I was just going to be doing six millimeter stuff, so like that's why I went with the resin, um, and so that you get a finer detail and and all that with it. So, um, yeah. Uh, so it's it's just been it's been really enjoyable like i've you know like anything you get a couple comments where you're just like go to bed like (laughs) why are you doing this but uh um but but it's been enjoyable it's been enjoyable to help other guys do that um you know in a similar way to what little wars is trying to do with you know trying to introduce people into wargaming and and get that going like all of us come from different angles into the hobby right um i i just love making stuff i like i like making models i like making terrain um i've always kind of had this little dream of having my own little uh miniature company i guess and i had actually you can go back and look but i was actually starting to do some 3d sculpting with uh well, well, not 3D sculpting. I was trying to trying to do some sculpting with uh, green stuff and and things, and but I just kind of started thinking about it, and I was just like, you know, 3D printing is, I think, kind of where it's going to go, and it's it's much makes it much easier for me to be able to put my stuff out there, um, because Indiana is actually a great state to live in if you want to produce metal miniatures like there's a lot of casters and there's a lot of people who do it in indiana and they're good um but i was like i i don't have the time or the ability to have the overhead to to open up a shop you know and then having relationships with other people to be able to put your stuff out there and so in some ways i think 3d printing and being able to you know now have your own like shopify website to sell your stuff on or put your stuff out there for free is, is going to be just another Avenue for people to kind of get into the game, to get into gaming and, and make it more accessible to people. Um, Cause I, I love the feel of metal miniatures, but I can tell you what, like I love being able to magnetize my bases and stack them full in, <laughs> in these carrying cases and they take up no room at all. Um, and they're not heavy. So, yeah. The, the the channel is a real variety of content, isn't it? From um, 21 videos on 6mm sculpting to the Berlin build or World War II naval. Um, I know you, there's quite a lot of 6mm American Civil War on there. I think you played a campaign out uh, with your dad, haven't you, on there? Um your own interest in history and historical wargaming does it run the whole gamut of history or have you is there a period that you're not particularly interested in that you would never touch 
Napoleonics. Okay, too much lace. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what the deal is with Napoleonics. I've just never been interested. I love obviously Napoleonic naval, um, but I've just never really been interested in Napoleonics. Um, I love the medieval period. Um, I love. I, I just love that period. It's just so fascinating to me, like feudalism and how it all works. And like, uh, it's just, that's just fascinating to me. Um, and I find that I gravitate towards periods of decline and change. So I, I love, uh, the fall of uh, Rome and Britain. Um, you know, that, that sort of time period. Um, I, I love, the revolutionary war i love the civil war american civil war um though those periods and just kind of how society functions and or doesn't function um i love world war ii uh for all kinds of different reasons but uh it's definitely one of my bigger periods i'm not quite as interested i think in in the modern stuff um i mean i think it's neat and i can understand how people get into it but it's it just doesn't super big for me um but those are the the periods that i really like i tell you what like has really sparked my interest lately is um i'm gonna butcher his name mark back back in house or back house yeah yeah yeah. he's doing the two million two millimeter stuff uh he is yeah Yeah. i have completely been fascinated by that and i love the look of it because again, it's it's kind of like the six millimeter stuff, right? Where it's like the figures are there, but it's really the terrain and the armies that are that are standing out. Um, and so I, I think I'm going to probably go down a rabbit hole of <laughs> designing <laughs> two two millimeter figures here um, to kind of see see what they look like. Um, I'm, I'm really fascinated that. by that. Um, that whole yeah, that that. The work um, Mark's done on that is is fabulous. The p- particularly with the horde type uh, infantry, where you've got this ma- absolute mass of um, well, it's milliput, isn't it? That's been scored and then painted to have the effect of a mass of ten thousand men or whatever it says on the, represented on the base. It's just something that I've never seen before, um, and to be executed as well as Mark executes it uh, on those bases is is just wonderful. And that that is another disappointment for me that the show uh, scene is dead at the moment with the pandemic, because undoubtedly I would have seen that at a show um, somewhere up and down the country. But yeah, it's, it's, it's gripped me as well. It's really opened my eyes to possibilities and, future plans and projects but there's only so much time mm-hmm. yes <laughs> yes for sure um yeah and uh, i'm going to pull you up on one thing actually aaron because you you've got one video here one solitary lonely video <laughs> on the american war of independence yeah i'm glad you called it the war of independence and not the revolution actually that's interesting well i i have to pull in as many viewers as possible and so <laughs> Since fifty percent of my viewership comes from the UK, uh, yeah, you've got to play to the audience. 
Yeah, but if you if you watch the video, it says that we're going to play that game at the Joyous Six on the July Fourth, and and of course it is it's going to be based on a game where the British lost. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it's it's some insignificant little battle somewhere. I'm sure it's it's, it's really in Indiana. <laughs> it's not insignificant. No, not at all. It's a, it's an interesting video that is actually because it, joking aside, it was a and. My own interest um, in history tends to be American history uh, from uh, the early days through to Vietnam. Um, but that's, uh, that particular battle uh, it was one I'd, I'd never heard of. And I've considered myself relatively well-read on the revolution. Um, but So that, that really taught me something <laughs> I didn't know. There's a, a real historical interest for me in it and it made me to go, go and look uh, into that battle further so have you got any further along with that one or not um i kind of put it on hold i i had sculpted up or modeled up uh native americans in six millimeter for that and so i'd done some test prints and things like that but but then me and my buddy realized that we weren't going to be able to go over to the joy of six this year i've been vaccinated because of the job i have but he's he's not going to be vaccinated by then. And the, you know, rightly so the UK and world travel is going to be messed up because of everything. And so, um, so it's, it's disappointing, but, but we did decide that instead of going to the joy of six, that here at the end of April and May, we're going to take a trip down the Mississippi and we're going to go to Fort Donaldson and Henry and Vicksburg and Shiloh and Corinth and stones river. Oh, Uh, which I have both sides of my family fought in. So, yeah, really? so it's, yeah, it's oh. going to be, it's going to be epic. Into my chair here, Aaron. <laughs> well, you can, you can live it through my, my Twitter account. I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to post the Twitter stuff, but uh, maybe even some videos. But so, um, you know, it's, it's disappointing. We can't get to England this year, but uh, I think it's the right decision. And, it allows us to to travel to some stuff that we really have been wanting to travel to for quite some time and just have never done it. So, and there's always next year, always next year, yes. always next year. So on the 3d printing front, then have you got any tips or words of advice for anybody out there who might want to get into 3d printing? Yes. Um, uh, first is you're not going to save any money by getting into 3d printing. Um, I, I talked about this on the, the other podcast, uh, across the pond. He, he asked me, he's just like, well, you know, do you think you save your money? And I just started laughing. Cause it's like, we don't ever save money as gamers. Like we just, this is not what we do. Um, I was scandalized because, um, since I've kind of started this little side business, I actually did. I, I went through and, and figured out how much I had spent on resin this year. <laughs> it was it was not good <laughs> it was a lot more money than i thought um so um now that being said like again i don't have a family i don't have kids so you know i have a little bit more disposable income but um so yeah you, you can think that you can get into it by saving some money but um you know i just don't think that that's true um because of how we are as people. Um, I will say that the biggest thing I think you need to figure out for 3D printing is what 
are you going to 3D print? Are you going to 3D print big stuff? Buildings, like 28 millimeter buildings? Or are you going to print figures or smaller scale things? If you're going to print, you know, some huge bunker at 28 millimeter, well, you need to get an FDM printer, which is a plastic sort of nozzle looking thing that that prints that scale um, and is able to print those bigger things. If you're going to print figures or something that needs a lot of detail to it, then the only way to go is really resin. Um, resin, both both 3D printing types have their issues and, you know, to some extent, some, some of their safety issues as well. Um, resin printing is a little bit more, um, you need to be more conscious about your, your safety because you have, you're printing with basically a, a liquid resin that is hardened by UV light. And so that liquid resin, you, you don't want that on your skin. Because if you go out with that on your skin in the sunlight, it's going to UV cure in your skin, which isn't going to feel really well and is not going to be good for you. Um, so there, there's some – I've heard a lot of people talk about fumes coming from it, but I've never, never really experienced that overwhelming smell. I've The smell that I get that is heavier is I use 99% alcohol to clean my models. That's a much stronger smell um, than the resin itself. Um, I was just thinking the other day that I ought to do a new video on things that I've learned and how I have my table set up now for 3D printing, because it's going to be completely different than what I did a year ago. Um, yeah. But the biggest thing that I've learned in the last two months is that I I actually spent the money and purchased one of the the new cleaners that they have um, for. Uh, resin printing that like Elegoo or Anaphobic or whatever the companies are. Um, they have like this little tub that you put your liquid in and then you it has this little magnetized uh, fan at the bottom that stirs up the, the alcohol or whatever your cleaning solution in. And it's just, it cleans everything so much more efficiently and so much better than putting it in a pickle jar and shaking it. Um, and so that has actually saved me money. So one thing that has saved me money because I'm not, I don't need nearly as many gloves and I don't need nearly as many paper towels. Um, and actually my, my models look way better because they're way cleaner, um, than that. But, um, I just, I like 3D printing for the same reason that I like fly fishing. And I like fly fishing because I get to tie my own flies and catch fish with it. And I like 3D printing because I get to model my own models and I get to print my own models and I get to paint my own models. And so I have control over every step. Maybe it's a control issue. Maybe I need to take that up with my spiritual director. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I like, I like being able to to do it from beginning to end. Um, I get I get some kind of satisfaction out of that. And there are beautiful models out there. There are beautiful beautiful figures. Um, and but I I still kind of like doing it on my own. 
and I can do stuff that I, that, that nobody else is doing. Like I'm doing niche stuff. Right. So like, as I kind of tweeted out today earlier, it's just like, it's a niche of a niche of a niche. And, uh, so, so like I can do the battle of Sackville that nobody knows about, and I can do it in basically one-to-one scale because I can 3d model the models. I can 3d model the Ford of Sackville and I can do that. Um, where I could go to Bacchus and, and buy the six millimeter figures and, and kind of do it. But Bacchus doesn't have winter British. Um, they don't have, you know, backwoodsmen for the Americans. Um, so, but, but I can do that. Um, so, yeah. Are you pretty much self-sufficient then, would you say, in your hobby at the moment? I am, besides buying GHQ World War II models, which I don't think I'll ever try to model, because why would I? I live in America, and I can buy GHQ models for... G- <laughs> um, I, I, I think I probably bought my last metal models. Um, I, I think all of my other projects are going to be me modeling them themselves and printing them off. Now, I might buy some other models from some other people. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't foresee myself purchasing much other stuff. Um, 28 millimeters, 28 millimeter stuff. I'm never going to make myself, um, I'll buy that, but uh, I'm not buying a lot of that. I basically, the only thing I'm gaming in 28 millimeter is saga on occasion and, uh, wild west stuff. It's really interesting, isn't it? That uh, I don't think, well, certainly not 10 years ago, probably not five years ago. Um, I'm not quite sure how long the, the technology has been around to provide the quality that Wargamers um, desire, but to think that you can be self-sufficient within the hobby, uh, it, it's a real step forward. Well, it's, it's, well it, it, it is a step forward. Um hesitated there, but I think it is a step forward. But to show where the hobby is going, um, I think is it's really interesting for somebody who's been in the hobby as long as i have which is 30 plus years to think that you now can turn out the armies the scenery um the baseboards that just about the whole kit and caboodle um yourself uh to your own specifications is just incredible yeah i mean it i think the thing that well, I sent you some models of it. I, I sent you the snake rail fence and, uh, you know, the, that model to me is, is kind of the game changer in my mind because it was, it was funny, the process of coming to model that snake rail fence, because I started off having someone model me in a 3d file, a snake rail fence. I said, this is kind of what I want it to look like. And I got it back and it was, it was not good. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't correct. And so I, it was hard to be ticked because the guy did it for free. And, you know, I, 
didn't want to take advantage of them or anything. So I was like, well, this seems simple enough. Are there programs out there? So then I found Tinkercad. So then I modeled it up in Tinkercad. Then I printed it off. And I was like, wow, that looks really good. That's way faster than me clipping off individual pieces of wood or plastic and then building up a snake rail fence. I can do this way faster by printing. And it looks better. And then I remember sitting there looking at it and I was just like, well, wait a minute. I know what snake rail fence looks like. It's not square. <laughs> it it's split split rails and they're triangles. And I was like, well, I wonder if I could model that up. So sure enough, I went in and I modeled up some triangular shaped snake rail fence. I printed it all off. And I remember just sitting there looking at those prints after they were done. And I was like, holy crap, this worked. And it looks better than anything I've ever seen. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I was blown away by it because it's, as a six mil American Civil War gamer, um, I, and I'm of the opinion that you can never have too much snake rail fencing. Um, it's, it's, it's an eternal conundrum as to how to model it traditionally. And I know that Pear Broden, a uh, good friend and, and guest on the show, has done it previously with spaghetti. Uh, and But the thought of sitting there and cutting up hundreds and hundreds of tiny bits of spaghetti and then having to lay them one on top of the other just would be too much like soul-destroying for me. So when your uh, fencing arrived, I thought, this is incredible it's it really is and the one of the first things i picked up on was the fact that it looks like a split rail fence um and there's absolutely no way you could model that in, no. in six mil by no. hand yeah and that's the thing is just like holy crap there's things you can do with a 3d printer that you can't do by hand and that's just the reality. It's like I look back at the D-Day board and I hand modeled every single bunker. Now I'd be like, I can go in and 3D model that and 3D print those way faster. And it would be cheaper because I spent the money on the molds. I spent the money on the resin to cast them. Um, and now it would be cheaper to 3D print those for sure. I'm a hell of a lot quicker. Uh, yes, a hell of a lot quicker. So, um, yeah, I mean, the only thing that's holding 3D printing back at the moment, and those are quickly fading away, is really, the, the for resin, the size of your prints. Um, and then it was detail. And so there was a couple companies that came out this last year with a bigger one and then a a, one that was similar in size but printed faster and more detailed and so i went with buying a new printer that was faster and more detailed um and i'm very happy with that um that decision so where where do you, you see this progressing aaron in another five or ten years where, where do you think this technology will leave the wargamer in five or ten years? 
Well, I would say if you had asked me six months ago, even just six months ago, if, if, cause I, I was 3d printing like my, uh, crusader army. Um, I was 3d printing my crusader army and I knew that they're, you know, printing this something that small in resin is going to be hard not to break. And so I thought, well, you know, it, it's going to be a while before resin gets to the point where it's as hard as metal. But then I did some some looking around and I found that there was a resin out there that actually made your models tougher by making them more flexible. And so I could actually have the long spears and they not break. They, it's more like soft plastic than it is like a, a hard plastic. And so once that happened, it was just like, then there's really no boundary for me not making six millimeter figures and, and printing those off. Um, so it's just like every single time that there's some kind of boundary that comes up for me, like within, and I think, oh, it's going to be like five years before we figure this out. It's like within six months, it's figured out. <laughs> um, it's just the speed at which it's changing is is kind of crazy. Um, so I I don't know um, if this kid even listens to the the, the podcast, but uh, the, Henry Turner is his name. I follow him on Facebook, um, but he he has printed. He started off making models for one uh, six hundred scale ships. So. Um, like they did like uh, the Napoleonic naval stuff. Um, so like the warlord didn't have any, like, I think they're called Razzies or Razies or um, these ships that have been kind of cut off and made kind of like 50 gunners instead of 74 gunners. Um, and, well, he had some models. So I print, I purchased them and printed them. Well, he's recently modeled the entire civil war in in that he's got a Kickstarter going on. And so that's just, it's just going to happen more and more. Like there's just going to be these guys. It's kind of in some ways liberalized the hobby and creativity in a good way. I think that all of these like random things that people want to do, they can now do because there's going to be some other dude out there who's going to do it. And then he's going to post it someplace for you to buy or maybe for free for you to download. And if you got a 3D printer, you can do it. But chances are in the future, you're going to have a nephew or a son or a friend who's going to have a 3D printer and they're, they'll, they'll print it off for you. Um, so I, I just kind of see that starting to, to, to be the avenue where a lot of people start designing and, and putting good stuff out there, if that makes can sense. You see, yeah, can you see a time when you'll be printing in, in color so you could print off um, an almost ready-painted figure? Well, you can print in color right now, um, but it's just going to be a single color. Um, there are the FDM printers that are starting to have multiple nozzles on them that will actually do that so if you wanted to print brick red brick and then the roof slate you you can do that now if you have that printer uh resin printer 
I don't know how that's ever going to happen because your resin printing is just basically you have a vat of of resin sitting in there and your plunger goes down and prints that away. Like so I I just don't ever see that being able to get to there. I don't I don't know how it would. There'll be some kid in college right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who, <laughs> 20 years from now will uh, develop something I'm sure but uh, it, it's fascinating to me. I've I've got a friend who's got um the the non-resin type printer and it's been a real steep learning curve for him but the the stuff that he's churning out now um afes and uh buildings and and bunkers is is fantastic and and that's really with a fairly modest priced printer uh, so it, it's something that i've never thought that i would get into myself but the more I talk to you, Aaron, I'm thinking, well, maybe never say never, and uh, yeah. it could, it could lie in the future. Well, I mean, think of it this way, you know, you you might. So I have a website. I've put up a lot of my models for free up there um, because Thingiverse is janky and sometimes doesn't work right, and so I was just like, oh, I'll just put up my own websites where people can download stuff for free, and then I have some stuff for sale. So. You can go to my website right now. You can download for free all the different types of fencing that you need for the American Civil War. You can pretty easily put that in to your slicer program and print those. And you will get five of those longer strips of fencing. You know, you can probably get like 10 of those on a plate. It takes two hours to do, you know, you do that. You have, you have a day where you're at home all day and all you could do is just, just push play. You walk away, you go work on something else. You come back in two hours, it's finished. You take it off, you clean it, you start over. By the end of the day, you suddenly have, you know, 50 to 60 of those strips. I mean, right there for an ACW war gamer. <laughs> that saved <It's> <laughs> saved most of your life <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and your eyesight <laughs> yeah yeah and, and your sanity <laughs> you know your family life is going to be better because you're not going to yeah. like be yelling at people um so yeah you know this, this, for terrain itself i think it's just it's worth it i, so, I certainly think we're at the point now of no return that um the this technology is just going to get better and better and better and, and more available, uh, more readily available for, for people. I mean, if, if, I, if I want it now, I can order one now, obviously, but, um, uh, you know, cost will, cost will come down. Um, the, uh, the, the quality of the prints will improve. And um, I think if I was a, a traditional manufacturer of war games figures, um, um, I, in, a, in another five years or so, I'd probably be getting quite worried or thought over uh, my business model. Yeah. And to be honest, like when I was sculpting in, in uh, Milliputty or green stuff, that's the thought that I had. It was just like, well, it it's hard for me to 
commit to learning this process that I know that I can learn, but it seems like this process is is going away. Um, and you know, to some extent, as an artisan myself, like I, I hate to say that, right? Like there's there's some beauty of it um, to to that, like Peter's sculpts and uh, even Adler's stuff. Like it's just like they're just great models, um, you know. So, so you would hate for that to go away, and I I don't think that metal miniatures will ever go away, but I. I do think it's going to eat into the market for sure. And I, I really do get concerned for uh, more of the terrain manufacturers. Because um, I think that that's it, terrain tends to be very easy to print off. It's not nearly as fickle as trying to print off six millimeter figures for sure, or even um, 28 millimeter figures for that matter. Um, but like you know, I, I've recently sculpted and and modeled uh, some Italian buildings and put those up on my website and uh, I have a couple videos on that too. It's just like they're they're lighter, they're cheap, they're fast to make. I can make as many as I want. And the other thing is, is it allows you some flexibility as far as putting things together. So this was the first set that I put out that had like a church. So like you got the kind of classic, um, you know, Italian church. Well, I made it so that the steeple was separate uh, and you can add it in there. Uh, you can scale it up and you can scale it down as well. So, you know, I have whole like city blocks that I've just kind of put the buildings together in the slicer. And so when they print off, they're already in the city blocks. I don't have to like worry about these weird, you know, joints covering those up and, and doing all that. So there's some real advantages to 3D printing when it comes to that sort of stuff that you're just, you're not going to be able to get by having metal miniatures um, because of the process that's involved in there. You could almost say that you could print off your own bespoke city. Yes, a very bespoke city if you'd like which i did actually on one of my videos i have a whole italian hill town which i i don't know if i've ever highlighted but you can kind of see it in the background of my my hill italian hill videos um so it's just sitting there waiting for me to <laughs> finish up and do the video on um but uh you know really happy with how those buildings look and how how they turn out it's so. a beautiful model i've i've um i've seen the pictures of it Aaron, it's, it really is uh, a gorgeous, a gorgeous model. Um, okay, where where's your hobby at then at the moment? What's what's your current project? What's on the on the plate at the moment for you? Um, uh, I am going to be. My plans are to return to uh, the Crusades. So I about a year ago I finished up the Crusader army in six millimeter, and now I want to uh go back in and model up the Saracen army um so that I can actually start playing the games. Um so I definitely want to kind of focus in on them uh over the next couple of months. Like I said, I think I'm gonna go down this rabbit hole of two millimeter stuff and yes. uh, and mess about with with that a little bit. Um this summer 
depending on how Gen Con falls and then how uh, the the Seven Years War convention falls, I might actually return to the uh, American Revolutionary War and uh, and and finish up that project so that I can take that that uh, game up to the Seven Years War convention and actually run that. Um, so that would be a good driving force to finish that up. So that's kind of the the bigger stuff for my hobbies. Um, playing, uh, Dad and I, I'm sure, will be returning to the Civil War. We kind of put our uh, campaign off for quite some time just because I didn't really like the the rules that I'd written up for the campaign. Um, so with Little Wars having their Fyric War, or I don't know how you pronounce it, uh, Fyric War campaign coming out, um, I have their their rules, and I might try to adjust the Civil War rules, campaign rules, kind of based on that. So we'll probably do that, particularly after we get back from our world or Mississippi trip of all the Civil War sites. I'm sure we'll be we'll have the bug to to fight it out there. Um, so that's uh, that's plenty. I think there'll be something something else come up and. You know, it certainly is. I, I think one of the joys of this hobby is that there's always something else to do, isn't there? There's, mm-hmm. We're very rarely stuck for yeah. something to do in this hobby, whether it's painting, whether it's building, whether it's uh, 3D printing, whether it's reading up or planning yeah. the next project. So uh, it, it really is one of the joys of wargaming. Um, mm-hmm. the, you've mentioned a couple of times your website Aaron, which is separate to your YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a website where people can uh, access your own 3D print files. Yeah, so um, I have a number of things on there. Well, first, I have a, a Facebook page that I periodically post stuff to. I'm, I'm not very good at posting stuff there. But um, I do have a, a website, projectwargaming.com. Uh, pretty straightforward there. Um, and it just has uh, my models on there. So a lot of the stuff that I put on Thingiverse, which is a website for downloading and sharing STL files that you use for 3D printing. Um, I'm not really posting anything on Thingiverse anymore because, like I said, I've had issues with files just disappearing or people not being able to get the files. So it's not. it didn't seem like a terribly stable platform for me. So I just decided to go ahead and open up my own uh, site. And uh, it's through Shopify, but a lot of the models on there are for free, um, particularly the terrain stuff. Um, so folks can go on there and and do that. There's a lot of the stuff that I posted on my YouTube page. I've I've then posted up on my uh, my web page for sale or for free. Um, so it's uh you know I get consistent hits. I pretty much have at least one download a day for some kind of file. Um, and it's kind of fun because I get to see from where they're doing it. And a lot of it's UK, a lot of it's America, but a lot of Germans, a lot of Polish folks, um, kind of all over. Um, yeah, so it's just yes. very interesting to, to see the spread of that. So any, any, um, any customers from the Democratic Republic of Congo? 
I asked I asked this because I've got I I've had around about forty five downloads of the podcast um, from the DRC, and I'm wondering who in the DRC uh, <laughs> is is listening to me. <laughs> if yeah. you're out, please get in touch. <laughs> Um, I don't know if it's there. Um, I have some, have had some from Asia, which is kind of surprising to me. Um, but, uh, it's the, it's the beauty of the internet, isn't it? You know, we reach all four corners of the globe. Well, I, I, globe doesn't have corners, but you, you know, the point is, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating that this, the reach and, uh, the very fact that we're talking now um, is is just wonderful, isn't it? That we can yeah. connect. And, yeah, it's just uh, amazing. Remember when the that. internet was coming out and like I was playing some kind of online game for the first time, and uh, I got on there and was playing a game, and the the guy asked me, "Well, where where are you from? Where are you at?" And I was like, "Well, I'm from Indiana." He's like, "Well, where's that?" I'm like, "Well, it's in America, in the center part. It's the state below the state that looks like a glove," and he was like, you're lying. I'm like, no, I'm from, I'm from America. He's like, I was like, well, where are you from? He's from Australia. I'm like, <laughs> wow. okay, well, that's pretty amazing, but here we are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I, certainly, I certainly remember the pre-internet days. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I still wonder at uh, the, the magic uh, that it brings every day. Yeah. Um, so. Aaron, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Uh, it really has. Uh, I know it's been a long time coming, but uh, it was worth the wait because I am I am fascinated by the world of three D printing, um, and I, I, I can't wait to see where it takes us. Uh, yeah, in, it's in years. I think you know the other the only other advice I give to people is just like if you like DIY stuff, if you like to do it yourself you'll like 3d printing. Um, it's problem solving. It's not perfect. Um, but if you like doing stuff yourself, um, you'll enjoy it. So, um, I think there's a lot of possibilities and I think, think it's, I think it'll help the hobby in the long run. Um, yeah, I have a feeling it's in my future at some point. Uh, I don't think I'll be avoiding it forever. Um, and uh, just, just this conversation uh, today has uh, made me think it's probably closer in my future than I thought. But uh, <laughs> well, when you get uh, one, you can call me up and complain about everything that's going wrong and blame yeah. it all on me. You told me this was the future. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Then your wife will call uh, me up and she's like, "He's spending way too much money. This was supposed yeah. to be cost saving." Uh, I tell you what, if it does save money, then she will be uh, sending you a Christmas card every year. Don't worry about that. Um, Aaron, thanks so much for giving up your time. It's been fantastic to talk to you. And as I say, it's been a long time coming, but hopefully uh, it was worth it. Now, um, as any long-time listener of the show will know, I, I request two things of any guest on the show. The first is relatively easy and painless and that I uh, ask that you'll return and have another chat with us at some point in the future. Absolutely. I, I hope that the next time we chat is when you come over to Gen Con and we can do it over a glass of scotch at my house and record oh, it that way. You, you're talking my language now. That would be <laughs> great, wouldn't it, doing a live recording? Fantastic. That's right. Yeah. Um, 
And the second is I'm going to ask for you to deposit a book into the God's Own Scale virtual library. The shelves are getting quite packed now. and I really should do an inventory of, of what's on there. But um, I, I'm hoping that you have uh, a book or two to put on the shelves, Aaron. I do. Um, so I have uh, I think this is a great book just for kind of the American perspective and particularly for its time period, but uh, brave men by Ernie Pyle. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Ernie Pyle, but he, he was uh, probably the most famous uh, journalist from America during world war two. And uh, he's a Hoosier just like me. Um, and uh, I just finished reading his, his book, brave men not too long ago and it centers around the italian campaign um and uh i just found it really fascinating to to read because it you know it just kind of took you to a different time um it it wasn't about generals it wasn't like uh, who's i think atkinson is one of the big historians that i've been reading to you know it wasn't like you know, talking about all these strategy things. It was just talking about like, Hey, here's Bob and Bob's from Indiana too. And Bob has his family back home and blah, blah, blah. And uh, it just, it kind of really personalized everything. And it it helped kind of remind me that world war two. And it was, it was fought by guys. It was, it was fought by boys really who, uh, had family back home and for whatever reason they felt called to go over and do this thing or were drafted and and went over and did it and so um i just i thought it was a great book um for for that in in a, in a very american book um because grant's memoirs are already taken by greg but <laughs> yeah. um he beat you to it <laughs> but i think brave men is is a great little book um to read another book that I do love um, because it's, it's uh, anti-British is uh, six frigates, which is just a story of the first six frigates in the American Navy. Um, but those, those are my two American books uh, to put on your shelf. The um, I, I'm not aware of any pile I have to say, but those kind of books, I think, resonate far more with me the, the older I get. Um, I'm, I consider myself fairly well read in, in military history. Um, World War Two isn't a isn't a strong point of mine, but the older I get, I, w- I want to know these personal stories and what what motivated people to pick up a gun and go to a foreign country and and fight and and more i want to know more i want to know about those people more so than the tactics and the the overall strategy and the generals and the names of the battles because i do find myself reflecting on if i was born in a different time and a different age then this could easily have been me doing the same sort of thing and particularly as war gamers, we can sometimes, 
I don't like the thought that we glorify war. I don't think that's the case at all. But um, sometimes it's very easy to lose sight of the fact of what we're representing on the tabletop. Um, because uh, I, I'm pretty damn sure that none of us would actually like to be the figures that we're playing with on that tabletop in the situations that we put yeah. them into. I think that really helped me as a, as a younger kid when I was wargaming, because I started to realize this is like, whoa, when I take figures off the table, that like that's guys dying, you know? And so I, I do, I do think that wargaming helped me have an appreciation for how terrible it actually is. And then, then you, it, in historical wargaming hopefully leads to historical research at which point you, you start, it, it can get depressing. Like when I was doing the Berlin board, it was so stinking depressing to read some of those Eastern Front books. I was just like, I knew it was bad, but oh my lord, this is just awful, awful. Um, I, I mean, I was I was literally depressed <laughs> when I got done with some of those books. I was just like, I just can't imagine this. So, um, but Ernie Pyle, it, Brave Men, it's a collection of his writings that would appear back home syndicated columns that would appear back home in America. And so he he really takes the time to like talk about this person and their life and their loved ones back home, which of course is kind of, you know, propagandist, I guess, in in the sense of like, look, all these guys are fighting for you and you need to do your work at home and blah blah blah. But but it also very much humanizes that. And so I I've always kind of respected Ernie Pyle for for his ability to to really concentrate on the, the individual soldier, the personal soldier, as opposed to some of the other war correspondents that, you know, quite frankly, like to hang out at headquarters and write about Ike um, or drink more red wine than they probably yes. should have in, in yes. France. So yeah. not that Ernie Pyle didn't drink too much red wine, but um, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's just fun. And he does have some, some really kind of funny kind of stories and stuff in there too. So. Um, I think, I, I think when you can find the humor in such adversity, then it, it really helps to, understand and appreciate the circumstances that some of these people found themselves in and I, I, certainly my reading uh, over the last couple of years has evolved from away from that sort of grand tactical strategy type thing and down to that personal level and uh, I've not done this before but I'm going to put a book on the uh, on the uh, God's own scale uh, shelf uh, library shelf uh, and it's a book called the uh, the Republic of Suffering by Drew Gilpin, which is about um, life and death during the American Civil War, particularly death, actually, about how um, death was viewed um, as as much of a as a spiritual thing as a, a physical ending of life, and, and how um, the families reacted yeah. uh, to the death of their sons as they fought against brother against brother as it was um yeah it's i I highly recommend it as a a book to sort of get into that psyche of um what life was like during that conflict 
Well, in some ways, our whole funeral industry in America began in the Civil War. And, you know, so it's just amazing how many practices started at that time um, that are still around in America, you know. Um, so it's it is interesting. What what was that? Can you give me the name again? Yeah, Not that the, I can't listen uh, to your podcast again. But. <laughs> uh, the Republic of Suffering by Drew Gilpin. Uh, Drew Gilpin Faust, actually, I've just, <laughs> I just uh, stood up to uh, check the uh, the shelf there. Drew Gilpin Faust. It's yeah. it's a beautiful book. It really is. Um, Definitely look it up. And, and a, a, a tad depressing as well because of the subject matter, because it's about death uh, throughout. But uh, yeah, highly rec- highly recommended. Um, Aaron, th- again, thanks so much. Um, thanks for your patience with me uh, oh. i know we've had a couple of um no, dates that i've uh, i've stood you up on uh, we've had please. some things going on you know well we're, we we all do we all do yes um but it's been great fun uh, i hope you've enjoyed it and i hope you will uh, return at some point in the future absolutely so i really thanks. appreciate it thanks sean thanks for doing this um i know lots of us Really appreciate your podcast. You're one of the ones that I support, and uh, I do that because I enjoy it. So, and I'm very grateful. Thank you. Hooray! As he ran for the Dutch frontier. Goodbye, goodbye, 
Lightning in the sky, on powerful things, stereo, kin, kin, na. 